0: It's the beginning of the end for James Franklin as head coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions. The same can be said for Mike Tomlin, who seems to be trying to leave western Pennsylvania for sunny Southern California. Hmm, that's an interesting transition, isn't it, now? Speaking of the lowly Steelers, there's been a changing of the guard in the AFC North, where the Cincinnati Bengals are now favorites to win the division. I'll talk about why next on Stern Spotlight. Welcome into another edition of Stern Spotlight. Make sure to like, subscribe on Spotify, shoot me a comment, hit me up on Twitter at J underscore Stern 97, and I'll answer your question or address your comment directly on the podcast. Got hung up early on this week at my job at WFAN and CBS Sports Radio, hence the late week recording but I'm all about it because this has been a great week in sports as it always is, but the cauldron is really starting to turn in Southern California around the USC job. And I think as the case is with every other head coaching job, whether it be at the college level or in the pros, a lot of the guys who are being rumored to be interested in that job would have to leave their position where they currently are And the trickle-down effects have been massive of that. I mean, look at what happened when Mike Tomlin was asked about if he was interested in the USC job. He didn't exactly shoot down the rumors. And he said, never say never, which means he's actually interested. It's funny how speculation about Mike Tomlin started when Carson Palmer leaked a comment on the Dan Patrick show saying he had heard Tomlin was interested because up until that point, no one would have ever even considered Mike Tomlin. He seems comfortable in Pittsburgh. I know they're having a down year there. And Ben Roethlisberger is getting closer to the end of his career. And we'll talk more about this later in the show. But it's just amazing to me how when there's smoke, there's fire. And once, once the rumor's out there, there's no pulling it back. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? But I want to start this week's show... With a bad beat of sorts. Because I'm one of those college football fanatics that watches pretty much every game. Even if I'm not watching it live, I probably watch the highlights or I probably kept up with it. And anyone who follows the sport, even a little bit, saw the ending of the Colorado State-Utah State game. Most people weren't watching that game live due to the fact that it started at 10.30 Eastern time. So most of the country was either asleep, out partying, or preoccupied with something else. It's understandable, right? We all have lives. But Colorado State, trailing by two points, gets a first down. And they're in field goal range, by the way. But without any timeouts, rather than keeping the offense on the field and spiking the football, and stopping the clock, which any normal team would do in those circumstances, Steve Adazio, the head coach, stupidly does this substitution where the offense is running off the field, the field goal team is sprinting on, there's a whole lot of disarray, the kicker clearly never was able to get set or oriented, and he shanked what would have been a game-winning field goal attempt. That type of thing is absolutely unacceptable. And it's funny to me how Steve Adazio throughout his career, whether it be at Boston College or previous stops, always preached the importance of special teams and how he should be the one handling that. Didn't want a special teams coach, never has and never will, frankly. But after an embarrassment like that, I think something needs to be done. No one really cares a whole lot about the Mountain West and neither of these teams are premier programs in college football. But when you see something like that, all you can do is laugh and shake your head. I laughed and shook my head a lot throughout the Penn State Illinois game. That was the longest game in the history of college football. Went nine overtimes. Was I, I said it on Twitter, that was the best worst game of the season. It was low quality football, but the back and forth slog of a contest was just embarrassing on so many different levels. And, you know, it was fitting, in my opinion, that Illinois ended up coming out on top because Penn State, frankly, did not deserve to win that game. When you're the seventh-ranked team in the country and you have a home matchup against a team that is three and four coming into that game and you're getting your starting quarterback, who had been hurt the week a uh, couple weeks before, back, there's no reason you lose that game frankly, and if it wasn't coming already, that game felt like it was the beginning of the end for James Franklin. He's been rumored to that USC job, and I could see why there'd be interest, and it's clear that the Trojans are looking to make a splash. They're not going to bring up, bring in an up-and-comer. They're not going to look at an SEC coordinator. They want a proven name, and the donors in Southern California are willing to dole out the big bucks, and For James Franklin, I think it would be a move that would make sense. He'd get to go to the most fertile recruiting ground in the country, already an established guy, someone who could reel in a lot of the recruits who they've struggled to bring uh, to the program in the past couple of years. So it's a move that would make sense for all of the right reasons for both sides. But regardless of what happens at USC, even if they don't uh, end up hiring Franklin as their head coach, it feels like... Franklin's on his way out the door we all know he's he's in his eighth season with the program won the Big Ten championship and the coach of the year award in 2016 and to me that was and they beat Washington that year in the Fiesta Bowl as well but to me that was kind of the peak of U.S. of uh, Penn State football and once that happened they they've been successful since and they had a nice run with Trace McSorley at quarterback but I don't think that Penn State was ever going to be able to challenge Ohio State or Michigan or even Iowa, for that matter. Some of the more premier teams in the Big Ten. Penn State was always going to kind of be second tier to them. And given the embarrassing manner of the loss to Illinois, not just that they lost at home, but their offensive line got pushed around pretty much the entire afternoon and the team didn't look focused. Say what you want about distractions, but it's clear they were not 100% thinking about that game. Because if they were, they would come out a lot more motivated, a lot more energetic. And I didn't see the Nittany Lions flying around the football field like I had in weeks past. And listen, these guys are 18 to 22-year-old kids. You can't necessarily depend on them playing consistently. But still, the rumors are getting to the players' heads, and that's become uh, obvious to me. But this is the second bad loss for the Nittany Lions this season. They had a tough loss to the Iowa Hawkeyes a few weeks back. And they stayed competitive in that game. But Iowa's defense kind of manifested itself like a boa constrictor wrapping around the Nittany Lions that day. And they just wore them down. And even though Clifford went down with an injury in the second half, uh, I mean, that's not a game that you should get blown out in, uh, As Penn State did, so they've had two really bad losses, and the road ahead is not getting easier. Okay, three of their final five games are against ranked opponents. Obviously, you have this big showdown against the Ohio State Buckeyes next week, and to me, that's going to be a telltale sign of what the future and the rest of the season holds. Because if if Penn State can't stay competitive with the Buckeyes then that's where I think people really start to call for uh, James Franklin head. Look, it's B- Buckeyes are one of the best teams in the nation. I don't necessarily expect them to go into uh, the shoe, one of the hardest places to play in college football and win that game, but having another dismal showing would really have a domino and a ricochet effect on that team. And then they also play Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan and Michigan State have the... Uh, Battle of the state of Michigan, if you will, this week at Spartan Stadium. And I think the Spartans are kind of the uh, underdog to win the Big Ten East this year behind Mel Tucker. I've talked about it on previous episodes of Stern Spotlight. They're looking like they could uh, be becoming one of the more premier programs in the Big Ten. So the, the road ahead is not getting easier for the Nittany Lions. And at this point, frankly, it, I don't care who they play. I don't care if it's a lower-tier Maryland team such as uh, the schedule ahead holds. They're, they're just not playing good football right now. And uh, on those terms, I don't see how James Franklin survives the season in Penn State. And he's done a good job, you know, following up a man of Joe Paterno's caliber, someone who is pretty much a godlike figure in state college is hard because there's so many expectations. But I think the brutality of college football is starting to rear its ugly head in that area. And truthfully, you're only as good as your last game. And it seems like there's reluctance uh, reluctance among the fan base to think that James Franklin is committed. So on those terms, there's no way in my mind that he survives this season and is their head coach at the beginning of 2022. Penn State is one of the premier programs in college football, and they'll have no trouble generating uh, interest from external candidates, top-tier ones, as a matter of fact, and they have the donors and the money and the resources to uh, bring in a big-time name, but it's not going to last much longer with James Franklin. I think the same can really be said for Mike Tomlin with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I talked about it a little bit earlier, how Carson Palmer kind of leaked the fact that he knew Tomlin would potentially be interested on the Dan Patrick show. And then when Mike Tomlin was asked about it, he said, never say never. How do you say I'm interested without saying I'm actually interested? You don't shoot down the rumor. And even if he did shoot down the rumor, I still wouldn't believe him. Look at what Nick Saban did back in 2007 when he was with the Miami Dolphins. That was the beginning of Tomlin's tenure in Pittsburgh. But Saban said he wasn't going to be the head coach at Alabama. And then uh, a couple months later, he was uh, getting off a private jet in Tuscaloosa, being named the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. But Tomlin's a guy who he won a Super Bowl in Pittsburgh, with Ben Roethlisberger, with Ben Roethlisberger, and he struggled ever since. I mean, he had that tumultuous locker room with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, and they lost to the Jaguars in the AFC Championship game in, uh, or in the AFC, uh, the game leading up to the AFC Championship game. But you know, everyone thought that that was kind of their year to break through. They had the best record in the league that season, I believe. And uh, he just hasn't been able to win a second title in Pittsburgh that I think that fan base has been coveting. And, you know, having been at with the Pittsburgh Steelers since 2007, I think there's a little bit of corporate burnout. In corporate America, which most of you and I myself happen to work in as well, people become stale. That's why you see guys are you know, people in the corporate world transition between companies so much. As good as someone may be with one company and as much as they may become part of the brand of that corporation, eventually their message and their tone and their way of operating just becomes stale. And I think in professional sports, we forget that these teams... Our corporations They're not very different than The uh, businesses of the world That your friends button up their white uh, Shirts to go to So What we're seeing with burnout In corporate America I think is very transferable To professional sports And Mike Tomlin Seems burned out with the Pittsburgh Steelers Roethlisberger Without a doubt Is in the twilight of his career doesn't have many seasons left. And throughout his entire time in the NFL, Tomlin and Roethlisberger have been connected at the hip. They've gone through all kinds of ups and downs from a Super Bowl victory to the scandal that Big Ben went through to the tumultuous locker room that I just described with Bell and Brown. They've been through it all together. And with Ben's time winding down, I have to imagine the same can be said for Tomlin. And that Steelers team, they don't really have much of an identity right now. They're not a top dog in the AFC by any means. And I don't think they're even going to finish in the top portion of the AFC North. I think the Ravens and the Bengals and even the Browns are much better. So you're looking at a situation now where the Steelers could potentially bottom out. They could finish in last place. And if that's the case, I don't know how confident fans would be running it back with the same old team. A lot of fans last year, even after the Steelers got off to a 10-0 and start, when they lost to the Browns in the first round of the playoffs, and they got in a 28 nothing hole in the first quarter of that game, they said there's no way we can continue with this team. But just like so many NFL owners try to fit square pegs in round holes, they said we'll run it back one more time. You have Juju, you have Chase Claypole, two nice young receivers. Defense has been pretty good for the most part. So let's try this one more time, and if it doesn't work, then we'll go from there. And at this point, it's obvious that this isn't going to work. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, more than ever need an organizational overhaul. And that means firing the head coach. That means maybe drafting a quarterback or bringing someone in that can compete with Big Ben because he's clearly not the future at this point. And it's just not going to work anymore with this Pittsburgh Steelers team. So that's why I think Tomlin would be best to start looking at options elsewhere. He would be a perfect fit for Southern California. Imagine a guy with that type of resume coming into town. Trojans haven't had a big-time head coach like that since Pete Carroll manned the sidelines. And, you know, having some with someone with a Super Bowl victory to his name and having coached those types of teams would be great for recruiting. It would be great for the face of the USC football program, which is trying to establish dominance once again. So if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm on the phone with Mike Bond, the athletic director at USC, and I'm trying to chart my course out of Western Pennsylvania and to Southern California, where I think he would be a great fit for the college game because he knows how to manage the players and he's an excellent motivator. He knows how to get that team up and ready to play. And I think that's something that they lacked with Clay Helton and Deontay Williams over the past couple of games as the interim head coach as well. With the fall of Mike Tomlin, though, I feel like there's a rise in Cincinnati with a young up-and-coming head coach in Zach Taylor, who has the Cincinnati Bengals playing like they're one of the best teams in the AFC. And I'm ready to say that after last week's performance against the Baltimore Ravens on the road, where they absolutely delivered an ass-whooping for the ages. Yeah, I said it. It was, the, the, the Ravens couldn't compete with them on any level. And it was oddly satisfying to watch the Bengals, after being the doormat of the North, for such a long time, absolutely dismantle Baltimore. And Joe Burrow looks like the real deal kind of reminds me of Patrick Mahomes in his first couple of seasons. Not just in terms of how he's been able to come in and make a seamless transition from college to the NFL, but also the smartness and the poise in the pocket and the good decision-making that we've seen him display over the uh, early portion of his NFL career. And I think the Bengals made a fantastic decision and pairing Burrow with his college receiver in Jamar Chase. After watching Burrow get beat up all of last season there, I think everyone thought that the Bengals were going to go out and draft an offensive lineman with their early first-round pick last season. But now you're seeing the benefit of taking a guy that Burrow was very familiar with, and everyone was ready to call Chase a bust when he struggled with drops during the preseason and said he was having trouble picking up the football. Turns out that was just a uh, growing pain of sorts. And that offensive line is much improved from a year ago. They look a lot better. They're protecting Burrow. Jonah Williams is back and healthy on on the left side. He's done an excellent job protecting Burrow's blind side. Riley Reif and Trey Hill have manned the right side. Burrow's been able to stay on his feet most of the times and hasn't been pressured a whole lot, and he's starting to get more comfortable as an NFL quarterback, and I think that revamped offensive line is a uh, big part of it. But a large part of the reason I think the Bengals are going to compete with the big dogs of the AFC this year is their defense. I don't think that defense gets nearly enough credit. Sam Hubbard is one of the best defensive linemen in football. Larry Ogunjobi, who the Browns pretty much left for dead, has done an excellent job uh, at the nose tackle spot. And then on the back end, the tandem of Von Bell and Jesse Bates does not get enough credit. Bates is one of the best center fielders in all of football. He looks like Jim Edmonds with the St. Louis Cardinals running around back there. He is, does an excellent job tracking the ball, Always kind of has has a nose for the football. I know the saying's cliche, but always in on pass breakups. Has gotten a couple interceptions as well. So I think those two guys are good. Eli Apple at the left cornerback position has really reinvented himself with the Bengals after having a rough go of it with the Giants organization. And I think Chidobe Awuzie, who is a really good corner with the Dallas Cowboys, is finding his footing, is one of the elite corners in the NFL with the Bengals. So that defense is as good as any in the league. You have Chase, who is clearly evolved into a number one receiver rather quickly. And T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd behind him are excellent uh, two and three options, as is C.J. Uzoma. I can never say his name right, but He's also an excellent tight end. And then Joe Mixon and Samaje Perrin have done an excellent job running the football and taking some of the pressure off of those guys as well. So top to bottom, assuming they can stay healthy, the Cincinnati Bengals can compete with anyone. And when you look at the AFC North, I just talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're not winning the division. The Cleveland Browns, who coming into the season were perceived as one of the front runners in the North are not going to be very competitive for that long without Baker Mayfield. And it seems like he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And then the Baltimore Ravens, I know the Ravens always hang around and they're the type of team that always starts off well and finishes even stronger. So I'm not ready to write them off yet, but I think there's no reason that the Bengals cannot compete with them. And we saw that On Sunday, they can play like they're the superior team and they're the alpha dogs. And on top of that, I think the Bengals just have hunger. They're a sleeping giant in this league, in my opinion. And when teams haven't achieved success in such a long time, I think they play with a lot more juice. Even if the players didn't grow up rooting for the team and none of them have real prior associations before joining the organization, I just think there's an increased sense of urgency in the building. And I really get that feeling with the Bengals on a lot of levels. And, you know, Zach Taylor is a guy who just hasn't gotten enough credit. He didn't have a quarterback for most of last year. It's impossible to win without one in the NFL. And his first season was rough as well. Didn't have much of an identity. So now we're starting to see some of the innovative play calling uh, that Taylor brings to the table. And uh, it's very easy to tell that he's a chip off the Sean McVay tree, and uh, don't be surprised if this team makes a deep playoff run. I'm sure I'll revisit that prediction again down the line and be able to brag about the fact that I'm right. That'll do it for this edition of Stern Spotlight. As always, be sure to like, subscribe on Spotify, shoot me a comment in the comments section, or hit me up on Twitter at J underscore Stern 97, and I'll be back again soon with another edition of Stern Spotlight.